Hello, this is Dr. Amy Lindsay, and I'm here to remind you that the information in this podcast is not medical or other professional advice. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. You should not rely on anything you hear as a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional who is familiar with your personal situation. Listening to this podcast may, however, give you a sense of belonging, make you spit take your coffee, realize that DJs can do more than play music, uplift you during a shit day, teach you that sometimes doctors swear too much, or remind you that you are not alone. So Amy, when I'm looking at my phone, and I'm aware that my phone hears me, and yet I carry it everywhere, and I say all kinds of things, and in fact, I have it in front of my face when I'm talking to you right now, Um, but do you remember when we realized the phone was listening? Do you remember the, like, yeah. like, you know, you kind of, wow, you know, we, we need a couch. Couches kind of show up, but you think, well, you search for couches and yeah, they're tracing you that way too. But it's the talking one that gets me more like. Yeah. We hadn't searched when we figured this out. We yeah. hadn't been searching for any of this stuff. So the way we talking about it. Yeah. The way we found out was we learned that they make pre-cut tennis balls, right? Pre-cut tennis balls for walkers. So, you know, you're the old lady or Amy walking with a walker with the tennis balls on it. Tennis balls are very important to walking with a walker. I was out in the garage. slide on the wood floor. I was out in the garage, like cutting the the tennis balls with like a straight razor, like probably getting close to cutting my hand off. And and I said out loud, we were just like, well, they got to make, do you think they make like, like walkers with tennis balls? And we didn't think to Google that and look it up or anything, right? And then that very evening or whatever, on the search. Was a pack of four. Pack of four pre-cut, pre-cut tennis balls. Tennis balls for the walker. So then we, we were like, okay, then, then, then we've really got to test this. And so we'd sit in our phones and I would say, bass fishing, bass fishing, bass fishing. It's something I would never dildo, do. Dildo, dildo, dildo. Dildo, dildo, dildo. And not once did bass fishing or, or dildo or bass fishing dildos come up ever into my feed. So I think it's so smart and evil. It knows when I'm telling it something that I don't really believe in, or it's judging me saying, look, pal, you're never going to be a bass fisher. And and be honest with you, you probably aren't going to buy Those it. Those algorithms know you better than yourself. I, I don't think you're getting a dildo, pal. Hey, 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 it's the doctor and the DJ, doctor and the DJ. Okay, today on the Doctor and the DJ podcast, you might want to turn off your phone because it's listening to you clearly. And we talk with the Lumineers frontman, Wesley Schultz, who has a new album of covers out called Vignettes about parenting, the pandemic, sorting your vinyl, and how Amy and I had sex after their show. Speaking of sex, our parenting segment today is how we conceived our child after the Lumineers show and also how kids kind of kill your sex life. We also thought it would be nice to play the music of his bandmate, Jeremiah Freights, who also has a new album of instrumental piano music called Piano Piano. So you'll be hearing that beautiful record throughout the podcast. So, Amy, I, I, I didn't tell you this story, um, but I received an email um, and, it, and it freaked me out. And it has to do with people listening to your phone and sex. Um, so it, it, I got an email 
and it said, we've been watching you um, get off, basically, on your phone to pornography. Uh, <laughs> and here's one of your old passwords. Or here's a password. They didn't say one of your old passwords. That wouldn't go over well. But whatever person wrote this. And was it a real password? Yeah, it was an older password of mine that I'd used like a super long time ago. And I learned later through some research that you can find these old passwords. And I don't know how, and it's scary as shit, but whatever. But okay, so I just got done with a workout. I'm sitting at the gym. Yeah, I'm not I'm not clear-headed right now. I gotta go get the kids. And I'm getting a letter from Anatoly or whoever it was saying, we've been watching you through your phone. You're a very bad person. We also have everyone in your address book. And we're going to send you this video if you don't send us whatever amount of money to this account. And so I'm like, I, I gotta be honest, like the phone's not the place for me. I, I don't think, I don't think I was getting off in front of this phone. Like I would turn it off beforehand. That would be weird. Or I wouldn't be staring at a phone when this happens. So I'm freaking out for a solid two or three minutes. And I, I, you know, I'm, you're, you're just thrown off. You've never seen anything like this before. And you're questioning your own use of your phone and any images you may have looked at. So, and I'm very open about that with Amy. Like I wouldn't shy away from telling her. I, I, was, I just don't know the logistics of that. Like, I don't know how you look at your phone and use your hand to get off. Well, left phone, right? Oh. But yeah, but it's, but I don't hold the phone. Yeah. You don't want to hold a phone while this is going on. I mean, yeah. So I, I Google this, I, I cut and paste this letter. I throw it onto the Googles and it comes up that, that this is a fraud. This has been going on people demanding money and they are getting money. Like oh they've, my God. they've hit, they've hit like people shame and then this being scared of being thrown out. Like I was scared. They're like, oh my God, I'm a public figure. You're going to send this to, to my boss. You're going to send this to like whatever. And I'm thinking like anyone would be freaked out by that. And uh, then I realize, um, as I'm, you know, realizing this, I don't even have Bitcoin. Like, well, I can't, <laughs> like what? I'm not going to send 20,000 Bitcoin or whatever it was to this Russian address. And then I start looking at it more. And I'm like, why wouldn't they have sent the video to me? Like, if you really want to get someone, you would say like, here's your video. It's pretty bad. Look at you. Look at that face you're making. You're making the sex face. And no one wants to see their sex face. I don't know why oh. people... I don't know why people make sex tapes. By oh the way. my God. No, no, nobody wants to see the sex I don't face. Want to see the sex face. And I never told you this story. So talking about sex face. Right. Sex face. You and I were having, I don't know what you call it, telesex. We were having like phone sex, but on, on the, the computer. Were we on the video? Yeah. It was face, like a FaceTime video situation. Mm. One of us was gone somewhere right. traveling. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. And. I was on a plane. No, you were not on a plane. Jesus Christ, what's wrong with you? And my colleague, who I work with, was trying to FaceTime in. <laughs> and is FaceTime kind of new to you then? Was there like a new enough? Well, I didn't know you could like FaceTime into an already FaceTime. Like you could interrupt. And so I see his face. Well, he, he didn't appear in our FaceTime though. No, but like... Showing that he was calling, and so his face like shows up in the middle of our situation, right? And he's like calling in, and and I of course did not accept the call. Good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but then I was totally freaked out. Like, oh my god, did he like walk in on us? Did he see anything? <laughs> and uh, you know, the next day at work, I'm like, hey, sorry, I didn't answer your FaceTime. Why don't you just text me or call me and. He's like, he was, you know, about 20 years older than me. And I think FaceTime was new to him. 
And he said, oh, yeah, I just hadn't tried FaceTime before. And I think I totally lied. I said, yeah, I was, I was FaceTiming with my family, which you are my family. So sorry, I couldn't pick up. And I was totally fishing to see if, like, I was watching his face to see if he had a reaction. Can you imagine if he did take a break? Like, hey, John, I, I'm going to slip into something more comfortable. <laughs> hey, what's up? What's going on? <laughs> okay, I'm back. Talk to me about um, sex and, and, and conception. You're of the belief that it, it has some possible impact on, on the child, like how you conceive that child, right? Um, Am I getting that right? No. no. I, I, I explain to me, like, like the, we had Henry after the funniest sex we'd ever. had yeah. ever. And I, and I guess it's a coincidence, or do, you, or do you think there's more to it? No, I had like a spiritual teacher yeah say that they believed that we choose when we're born okay. or we're cho- we choose when we're conceived or we choose we choose it right and i liked that idea just as it related to ours whether or not it's true i have no idea i don't pretend to know the secrets of the universe but i like that idea because our child is one of the funniest people i have ever met in my entire life and the night we conceived him was the funniest sex we'd ever had. Because we were at that point where we were, you know, we we had we had a lot of sex, but then it became a, like a chore. Like we we there had the time, you know, like right out of a movie or a sitcom, right? Like, yeah, we were trying to get pregnant, and we were having a hard time getting pregnant for a multitude of reasons we don't need to go into right now. But it became this thing. You're like, okay, the, the ovulation and the this and the get on and top you, of me. Yeah, and you were like, all right, like, stick it know, in me. And I was like, all right, I'm sticking it in you. And, <laughs> and we were laughing our asses we were, off. Yes, we were laughing. And, and it was like, I mean, it was, and, and then it became, you know, amazing sex. But, but up to that point, it was just so funny. And like, like, we just, we're just like, let's just try, you know, maybe we'll get pregnant, whatever, but let's just have, and then we we're just joking. Cause we were like, okay. And then the penis goes in here and then, then you reach here and then I touch these over here and, <laughs> then, the and then you go up and down. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then it's over, you know, and we have a baby and, and we did the math and that's when you got pregnant. Yeah. But, but riddle me this, mm-hmm. if the souls of our children choose, you know, their conception, then do they choose to sabotage our sex life for the rest of our life? Because that's what happens that, you know, the sex makes the baby and then the babies unmake the sex. <laughs> that's right. That's what I've always said. Like the thing that, that brought them here and, and that's how we all got here for the most part takes away from the actual act. That is like one of the greatest things you can have in your life. So on that tip, there was, you know, we have kids in the house and our, our smallest is, He's right below us. This is really bad. And he's very observant. Strategy, and he's got good hearing. And we need to move. He needs to go sleep yeah, in a different room. Yeah, he came upstairs and he like heard we were, you. We, well, we were having sex, and we had the you know we had morning sex, which is the morning f- sex is the best. But just heads up, y'all need to go brush your teeth first. Like, yeah, get up and pee. Yeah, brush it's your a, teeth. It's a nice thing to do. Nobody wants like you know morning breath in their sex. Yeah, and also if you're wondering about the things that go away when you're um, a new parent. Uh, brunch out movies out and morning sex out okay go ahead 
Okay. So we had brushed our teeth and had morning sex and, um, we came walking out almost like guilty because kids were up and they were in the living room and we're like, Oh shit, you know? And my youngest says, mom, I said, yeah. He said, I heard you. I'm like, what? (laughs) I heard you. You heard me. What? He's like, that noise you made. He's like, you woke me up that noise. And then he proceeds to do an imitation of basically my sex noise. It's the most horrifying, embarrassing thing you'll ever encounter in your life. Because you don't sound like that, first off. And I just, I didn't even know what to say. I was like, breakfast? You know, (laughs) do you want breakfast? And that is horrifying because I remember when my asshole older siblings pointed out the chandelier in the TV room moving when my parents would go to bed. And I could have gotten my entire life not knowing that. I could have gotten my entire life not knowing that. But we'd be sitting there watching TV. Yeah, they're right now. Paint the picture of your parents having sex, because um, everyone wants no, to do thanks. that. Sitting in the family room, you've got a very large family. Uh, you're watching Mash or Charlie's Angels or whatever, and your brother points out every time the chandelier, the little, you know, in the TV room, in the yeah. TV room, just starts shaking. That's your mom and dad doing it. Ugh, totally. It, it was like telling me about Santa Claus or something. You know, just ruined me. Well, I'd, it'd be like if telling you that Santa Claus was, he was real and he was a ax murderer like that. That's more probably the analogy. Cause it's like a, a reality you do not want to face because you believed in such innocent things before that. Yeah. So we always talk about, you know, like once the kids are grown and out of the house, like where we're going to put the sex wing and where we're going to put the, you know, cuffs and the, yeah, but then aren't you too old to do all that stuff? Yeah. See, that's the irony. You're listening to Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers and his beautiful record, Piano, Piano. And I'm a dork, so I thought if we had Wesley Schultz and the Lumineers as our interview today, Amy, that it would be really neat to have Jeremiah Freights' music as our featured artist. Because they're bandmates. They are bandmates. In the Lumineers. Yeah, and people worry, you know, when you see solo records that the band is breaking up or they're going their other ways. But uh, uh, Jeremiah, just he's he's an amazing piano player, great drummer, just and a hell of a guy, by the way. I've known him for a few years now. And um, I just love what he's done with this record. And Wesley has put together an album of covers. Um, So they're very different records, but they're both very emotional and very pretty records. And it's really cool to see. And as you know... Lumineers are working on their fourth album because our friend Wesley may have sent us some rough mixes we listened to. He sure did. They sounded, that was nice. That sounded yeah. really good. Um, but we won't go down the Lumineers path here. We're going to talk to Wesley Schultz about his solo debut vignettes. Um, Wes, I wanted to... Um, Thanks for taking the time today, by the way. It's yeah. awesome to see you. Thanks for having it, me. It, it's been a while. In fact, I just realized I'm wearing my Nashville hat and uh, it may have been... That may have been the last time we saw each other. Could it's be. been it's, a while. Yeah. Too long. I wanted to ask, um, before we get into a little bit of our history too, um, just how you're doing through the pandemic. Um, you've clearly created a beautiful record I wanted to talk to you about. Um, how have y'all been coping, you and your family? Uh, up and down. I think it, it helped. My dad was a psychologist and I was going to be one. I wanted to be Michael Schultz and son psychology. I don't think that that's legal, but, um, he was my hero and that was what I was going to do. And that's what I was studying. So I think having that in being interested in that in something like a pandemic, I think it helps to know a little bit about empathy and sort of um, 
that bad days are going to come. It's just part of it. Um, I guess just things he used to say to me, he, he passed away, but um, in 2007, but he used to say, you know, it's hard to wake up in your own head, much less try to explain it to another human. So just so you know, this is not going to be easy, but it doesn't mean there's something wrong. It made me relax a little bit and let some more of it come to me than I think had I not been raised by someone like that. I think I would have thought, I need to fix this or something dire, there's something terrible happening in my head and it's forever. So having a little bit of patience with these moments has been helpful. Like in the beginning, I was trying to write and it felt, I don't know if everyone experienced this in different ways, but that there was this linear part of my brain that's like, okay, I have time off, productivity. This is what everybody's talking about. Free time. Now you can make the record of your life. And you just don't make anything for a while. You just sit there and you beat yourself up and you feel so worse about it. And when you're on the road and you're exhausted, you're like, all I want is some time off. And then you're, my two-year-old son's looking at me like innocent. And I'm like, this existential crisis going on. And I can't just be there with him. So I think there's like mixtures of that and then feeling some really good days and feeling certain things that work and other things that don't. So it's been an up and down. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I'm always saying, and I wonder if this rings true for you, that empathy is curiosity. If you can remain empathetic with yourself, then you can be just curious. Curious yeah. about what you're thinking, curious about what you're feeling, and investigate it from that point of uh, curiosity. And it's super normal. I think most people were in this, you know, ping pong relationship with themselves, like productivity, rest, productivity, rest, product, you know, and um, shooting all over themselves. Like I should be doing this and I should be doing that. And the and the reality was we were all in trauma. Yeah, we're all in this trauma, right? Collective trauma. I sat on the living room couch one day and stared at the wall for like 45 minutes. I think that you're definitely not alone in that, and especially creative types where you feel like there's this pressure to create. And now you have time, time, tick tock. I hear from listeners, Wes, <laughs> where they're like, but think of all the great albums that are going to come out of this. And I said, what a lot of pressure to put on your fellow humans. What? Why is it on them to be creative? I couldn't write a record right now. Well, what I if couldn't... every artist got divorced and went bankrupt all in the same year? You'd get a lot of redundancy too. You know, I, I feel like there's just a lot of danger of everyone saying the same thing, which is never to me as interesting as, um, but I, I heard this thing a while ago about Tupac being in jail and they thought he would have 20 records when he was out. Cause when he was so busy and out in the real world, he was already making more albums than anyone could fathom. And he's like, no, that's not an inspiring place being kept in a box. And I thought, I kept thinking of that. It's a poor analogy, but it, it kept me going of like, let yourself off the hook if you're not being the most productive version of yourself, because maybe this isn't the most inspiring piece of, you know, your history when you look back. Yeah. You know, um, I've been thinking about what isolation does to us as well. And so, you know, we lived in New York for a while and we live in Seattle now. And in Seattle, you live a little more isolated from people than you do in New York. And so I used to think about this back in those days when we moved back to Seattle, but it's magnified 10,000 times now during the pandemic, this isolation where if you're not constantly interacting with people and constantly being around people, you almost lose your ability to deal with people. And then you add on all the trauma, 
you, you can't even deal with people anymore. And yeah. so then you go out in the world and then there's angry driving <laughs> and everyone's insane and they don't mean to be, but, uh, I, I crashed my car in the middle of this. In, in, the, in this, in our kid's <laughs> school parking lot. I crashed the car in the, in the parking lot. So in another, into another car or what, what happened? No, into a fence with Whoa. my kid in it. And then it like jammed its way into the side of my car. And then I was trying to reverse and I was making it worse. You know, it's just like. Everyone's lined up. And everyone oh, is in no. the line. Cause everyone's like lining up and getting the temperatures oh, taken. Cause like my, my, my kid was in like a distant hybrid school situation. And, um. When I finally escaped and was able to drive, I had totally messed up my car. And uh, a garbage Holy truck cow. pulled into the parking lot and blocked me so I couldn't escape. I had to like, I couldn't do my shame drive away. She was stuck in the lot. I was lot. stuck in the Everyone's lot. staring at you. Is this not the nightmare version like of it? like a Larry David situation. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's a total Larry David Because it situation. had one more thing. Yeah. But I wasn't being present. And I think it's really hard to be present because we're so traumatized and then we're isolated and we're so in our heads and we can barely even grasp what's going on in the world. Well, and that can be good and bad things going on. Well, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not comparing <laughs> touring to a pandemic, but getting to your band Lumineers, like you're, you were on that road where you, you as I saw it, you know, where you're doing some shows and you're promoting your record. And then suddenly you look up and you guys are, you're playing arenas, you're flying all over the world. You're busy, busy, just like crazy. Like you open the book to what happens to a band when they become popular and you were, you were on that road and you talk about having that time to yourself. Is there a version of that with the pandemic? You know, you said, you know, you've been, you wanted this time. Were you on that road with the Lumineers and, and, and in a place, did you hit a spot where it was everything was going on and on and on and you did not have a chance to stop and, 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 and collect yourself. Yeah. Yeah. 2013. I, my wife made me a Christmas present of the year on a calendar with all of the months, like a big poster and then all the highlights. So it was like David Letterman. Uh, I think Leno at the time um, we got engaged, went on SNL, went on the Grammys toward here, toward there. And it was like populated with all these highlights that were supposed to make me really happy. And I started getting nauseous, like looking at the calendar. And I said, I love you, but I can't, I just can't look at this right now. I'm sorry. It's too close to, too close to home. But it's so weird that you brought that up because as you were describing some of the things about the pandemic, being on a tour, you, you, you stop living, you learn how to survive quickly and maybe you never really get out of the foxhole. You, you start to be good at survival and really bad at living. And so getting bad at interacting with people because all you're doing is playing shows, doing interviews, and um, not even maybe talking to the band as much. And then you come back home and in that case, you know, like people treat you a little differently and don't know exactly what to say sometimes, or your friends aren't even sure if they're your friends anymore. It's this whole um, strange, um, in, a, in a funny, weird parallel, I had a practice run at this, this style of living through that. And it's, people wonder why they're like, oh, you poor, poor musician. And you're like, no, no, I'm not like complaining. I'm just telling you this is a strange, isolating experience, at least in the beginning. And hopefully you can find your way through it and find a you know, a better balance, but it's almost like you're a, 
you know, those doctors that are in scrubs in the beginning and they're sort of like doing the rounds and they have weird hours and, and you're like, man, I'd never want to do that. But then like the title is really enticing or the work is really gratifying. And um, I feel like that's what happens sometimes with musicians where you're, you're sort of like, you put in a lot, but you hope at some point it becomes a little more balanced because there's no way to keep that up. You'd lose your mind, you know? And then you have the same or a version of the guilt um, that you shouldn't ever feel sorry for yourself. Yeah. Because you get to live this rock star life or you get to do what you love. And so I've seen this in so many musicians that won't give themselves the space because they'll sound ungrateful that this is the thing that they wanted. And yet I've watched this kill some of them and, and, or wreck their lives and people outside of that have trouble seeing into that. So, so to me, and, and during this pandemic, I've had many moments where, you know, I do what I love. I get up early and it's hard to like, Hey, feel sorry for me, but it is, it, it, it's wrecked me and it's in ways and it's hurt my mental health and others and our bar being on, you know, a small business, it's struggling, you know, you feel bad because you're privileged to be able to own a bar, you know, and, and we know our employees of our bar have it worse than us. Um, but it's still a big deal. It still is affecting me as a human. And so I've seen so many artists not give themselves the space to, um, to stop because they feel like they don't have a right to. Yeah. I have a, a guy who's sort of a life coach that comes into my orbit whenever it seems like the time is just right. That's not something I call up. I just see him and he, yeah. he goes by Jimble. It's a great name. <laughs> and, great name? um, so he's the father of some musician friends of ours. And one time I was explaining to him how we were writing the second album, Cleopatra, and he was asking me how it was going. And I was explaining how it was going and it wasn't going that well. And I was frustrated with myself. And at one point he just stops and he's like, have you ever, have you ever tried to have a little compassion for yourself in this? And I just started like laughing like uncontrollably, like at the absurdity of that. You know, like, but also the truth in it, it sounded correct. You know, like I had never heard someone say that to me that way, but that I could give myself the benefit of the doubt because all I've done to succeed, it felt like was to doubt myself and doubt my intentions and just like push myself. Like there was a fire under me that every time this happens and it doesn't go well, it's revealing of what I really am. And there's gotta be a next step, right? Like it can't, you can't right. always live that way. Right. Um, and that was serving me well, but then it became like a useless appendage that like held me back in a funny way. And so it is like, I loved, I loved that idea. I love the idea that you could laugh at something as you're so sad because someone's <laughs> telling you the truth. I'm, I hope there are other people that feel that way towards themselves naturally, but that wasn't where I was coming from. Maybe it was how I was raised. Maybe it was understanding that the music business is not for the faint of heart and there's no it's not it's unfair and that's coming from me who's had so many great breaks it's just not a meritocracy all the time and so understanding that um it gave me a lot of uh like things to think about and have you ever heard of the five stages of tribal leadership no it basically is these like five stages of development for a group you know and the third one is we're great and you're not yeah. The second from the top is I'm great and you're not. And the last one is like kind of doing it because you love it. Like I love this and I can't stop doing it. I just need to. And I, I do it for the love. 
And it was in a book I read by Phil Jackson. I was a big basketball fan growing up. And when we made our records, you know, at first you have these ideas of being seen in a certain way and kind of like shitty motivations, for lack of a better word. You have a chip on your shoulder. You have something to prove. And when you start making, I think, your best work, it's when you're competing against yourself in a way or you're you're just gravitationally, magnetically pulled towards something. And you believe in it so much that it would be like, Someone rating it would be like someone rating me kissing my wife. I don't need to know what you think. That was an act of love. I don't need, how many stars you give that? Like, it's not <laughs> like that because it's so powerful to you and it's an expression that's true to you. So those kind of things have, have I felt like really helped to insulate and get the, get art for me on a higher level than uh, maybe what my motivations were in the beginning after like decade of failing, you just get like these, you get these barbs out and you sort of get the, you come at it from more of an angry position than like a love loving position. Yeah. <clears throat> the five stages put the shorter part of it is one is life sucks. Yeah. That's your first <laughs> life sucks. Then my life sucks is two. I'm great. is three. We're great is four. Life is great. It's five. That's the short. There's longer. And there's ones in parentheses like we're great yeah. and you're not. Yeah. I'm great and you're not. And then, yeah. I, but I love that last one. And he got the Bulls, he got them to play for each other and not to play to beat the other team. And in that way, he felt like they were unbeatable. And you can apply it to just so many things, but I found it to be very inspirational. We had it on our vision board, the last two records. You know, we put those up just to remember yeah, yeah. it. Because yeah. there are people who come in the room with some weird energy and you want to remember <laughs> what, it, what you're there for, you know? Well, the innocent wonderment of stage five is something we should all have in front of us when we talk. Like, as I talk to you in front of my face, I printed this out a while ago. I was doing my show during the pandemic and having a bit of a panic attack. And I was, it was about, um, you kind of touched on it, that I'm a fraud. And it gets harder and harder to call yourself a fraud when you're uh, in a creative world and people are responding. Um, because there's enough people r- reminding you that you're not. But in some ways, that can be the most deadliest time for that thought. Because then you feel, and this is where my panic was from, was that, oh my God, now I'm a fraud to all of these people. And it <laughs> oh, is a pandemic. Yeah. yeah, before it was like, ah, small college station, you know, I volunteered. Like, how many people am I fucking up, really? I mean, it's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, doing, on, yeah. Honestly, I was like, life sucks. I was in stage one here. And I, I was just like, whatever, and playing music and not having an impact. And, and I, I know it's probably connected that once that started to change, we were listening, more people were listening and and responding, but I, I typed this thing, I printed it up and it said, in case no one has said this to you today, you are doing your best and you're going to be okay. And there was something about that, that got rid of the, um, the fraud part of me in that if I'm just doing my best in a way, this is the laughter part, like, well, that's all I got. Like, there's nothing more I can do. I have done my best. And so even if I am a fraud, let's see, (laughs) apparently being this fraud has worked. And in some weird circular way, I came back to my early days of like college radio of like, well, you know, just be yourself. Like maybe you do so. Well, that's, I mean, to your, to your credit, not to cut you off, but when I listen to you in the morning, it, it sounds like, I think that's why it works. It's like Howard Stern where you're, you're just comfortable. I mean, he's different because he was in the beginning of his career. He was, he was seemed depthly afraid of yes not having everyone's attention, but I think yeah. he's turned it into like an intimacy level. And I think when I listen to you, it sounds like we're just talking, you know, like just over a coffee and there's nobody else like you over coffee. That's why 
you're <laughs> successful. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, and you could say that about a lot of people, but they're not willing to actually be themselves and do that thing. But I think I was going to ask another aspect of this. Isn't it interesting that there is an element of fake it till you make it. So in the beginning, you are actually pretending. So like, there's no way you'd know. Like the first time you're like, hey, this is John Richards. And and you went on with something. You probably felt really silly. And then 10 years later, it's part of what you do. I feel like going up on stage is is an act until it's you're more comfortable with it. You know what I mean? Like uh, yeah. at home with it. But I wonder if that's a lingering effect of of everybody is that imposter thing because you're you are in the beginning. You totally are. How would you not be? And yet there you are living in a true expression of your creativity at the same time. And and then the sort of mind fuck of the uh pandemic and how that, you know, was similar. Like the mm. loneliness is similar. This is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful yeah, exactly. house. Totally. That's the theme song, right? Yeah. But, and, and I don't know. You, I know you know your fans better than anyone. Um, but your, your honesty comes through. And so every band I've ever known that I've loved have like this emotional connection. To, to, I listen and have an emotional connection. But your fans, just what Amy was saying too, like if you are putting yourself out there to these people who have come to you because you, are, you all are very honest and very open in your songwriting and just how you are with your fans. Um, that, 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 that has got to help with that feeling of, of isolation, not just fans, but like fans who really are feeling what you're saying and singing. Yeah. I feel like it's at least you feel some purpose in the greater whole of the universe or something, or the people is like, at least it's like when you make a meal and people eat, you know what I mean? It's not like changing the whole world, but you're doing, you're giving someone a little bit of solace. I feel like that is what music has done for me. To be a part of that lineage for other people, it means a lot. The first time I played a stream, like a live stream, I expected to leave it feeling like it was a robotic act. And it actually filled me up. I felt like, and it wasn't because I was getting attention. It was like seeing people feeling relief and feeling joy and excited during a tough time meant a lot to me. Um, I think it's tough because we walk a line as entertainers of, it's like a drug, you know, you don't want to get too too wrapped up in it. So you're trying to be engaged with it to a level where you're meeting people halfway and meeting them with empathy and entertaining them in a way that respects them and honors them and not treats them like lemmings that would do anything you say or something, you know, <laughs> um, but more like yeah, giving them that, responsibility and then they rise to that you know like expecting that and wanting that together but it is i mean i i saw that movie um alive inside a few years back and i was like i don't know if you've seen it. it's about dementia patients and Mm -mm. there's a part of your brain that essentially i don't think is really touched by the disease so there are people who are almost vegetative not communicative at all really and they put on these headphones and they come alive and it's it's usually music from their childhood where it's it's like preserved but it's almost like crystallized so this guy gets up and he starts singing and he's and he's expressing himself and then that kind of leads to more interaction and it it made me weep and the reason wasn't the reason was simple it was like i'm a part of that you get so used to like feeling like you're whoring out yourself or your music or whatever when it started so pure but then you forget that that's all 
sometimes in an effort to reach a greater audience, that's that's building memories. That's that could be someone one day where they could put on the headphones and and it could bring back all these other life memories. So for me, that's that ties back into the live stream and everything else. Is like you're you're being reminded of how you're doing your part in a, in a little way, just like the baker, you know, making the bread and like we're all a part of this kind of collective, but we lose sight of that because of MTV Cribs and because of fame. And, you know, like it's not, that's not real. That's like a, that's like an ego flex, but this is real. Like this is a real thing with people. And it, and it just, I mean, just like talking to people over the radio in the morning is a real thing, but you might get so far away from it because it's, it's taking away from aspects of your, your existence. You're giving a lot to it, like a farmer or something, you know, you're like, breaking your ass to make it work but you get on you're like hey guys how's it going and that's what i feel like about music sometimes you get on stage and they i'm not going to tell them I'm, i've been sick for a week and i can barely sing this is going to be the show they only show they might see and this has to be the best this has to be good i have to leave it out there so in a funny way it's like that's what's cool about it that's the cool reminder and and i feel like that's a healthy way to look at it i don't know i i, I keep evolving on my view of it all, but I feel like like Dylan was the right guy for the time when he was anointed almost like this prophet. It's like he didn't even really want it. Mm-hmm. And then they asked him, like, you know, what do you think about all these people that call you the ambassador basically of a generation? And he's like, I'm more of a song and dance man myself or something <laughs> like that. Like he's just deflected <laughs> yeah. it. And that's the right guy. It's not the guy that's like, I am and listen to me. Because that person's like broken. I, Dylan is weird in his own way. We refer yeah. to him as the Bat King. Like he's just like a dark figure. But he's the right man for the job like in that way. And I feel like sometimes um, it takes an unlikely source to be the right person for it. And like I'm, the last thing I'd ever thought I would do is be on stage or any of this. And and it it kind of worked out in a weird way. And I think a lot of people are surprised that our band is fronted by like and understated just kind of like i am who i am but it's like i think it works i, I think if you're if yeah. that's who you are it's going to come out whether one way or another whether you like it or not if you're loud if you're colorful that's who you are if you're this you're that it's like accept that and and own it you know i think that shows why you connect to people so well you to me are even i don't know more yourself than than, than ever. And, and it's great to see through all of this that you've been able to hold on to that. And, and I, as cite you guys and, and some other bands, I consider friends, like if you can follow their journey, if you can, if you can have sort of the outlook they have, you may survive this because the others have not. Yeah. It's a um, weird arc. And thank you. for <laughs> Thank you for even yeah. saying that. But I still remember watching for the music dies and being like, this guy's oh, awesome. Yeah. Who's this guy? And <laughs> I want to, how, how do we get played on that station one day? And then having you play, it was just like a whole, that thing you do, but on a way cooler level. <laughs> and um, I don't know why, but I think, um, you know, we open for you too. And I think Bono had like less distractions in his life in a funny way. And that allowed them to be focused eyes on the prize. Like he was a, he was a religious guy that was married young. And like, it was just right. like one less giant thing that he was not pursuing <laughs> because that was figured out with anything you do, you know, like if you sort of make it over the hill, it reveals if you ever wanted to be doing it in the first place, because you can work really hard to not work hard. Like if that's your thing, 
But like when I, I feel like when I go on vacation with my wife, we have the best times when we do something really hard and then we have a beer or something. It's not like, let's go to the beach and just have a margarita at like <laughs> yep. 9 a.m. It's just like, that's, we're going to get in the biggest fight. We've tried it. You know, it doesn't work. Um, we're going to argue about something that's not even a problem. And it's going to be like where we dig our heels in as opposed to like, so we know that about ourselves. And I feel like in the same way, and maybe it's really related to the pandemic is that it's, there's something about feeling tired at the end of the day that people are being a little bit robbed of, you know, when you're physically not even moving your bodies, when you're not interacting, you're like, let's do another zoom meeting. That's a different kind of pull from you, you know, like the, of, of energy, but it's not like, feeling that useful or feeling physically worn out or anything. And I feel like that's even you can't go to the gym in a lot of places or you can't, people can run and that's great. I've been doing that in a park and like, but there is just so much to that, that people, our phones are not, are not stand-ins that are, or not effective stand-ins for socializing. Social media isn't so, you know, it's not what you, it's an, it, I would call it like billboard media. It's like your personal billboard to the world of how your life you think looks. <laughs> it's more a broadcast than it is a socializing thing. And I think when people start to realize that, that you're the product, just understand that. Like I'm, I was off for a while, but now I'm, I'm using it in a way that I feel good about. But I felt like I couldn't do that five years ago. And I still don't know. Sometimes I'm like, man, I was on my phone a lot today. You look at that screen time, it's depressing. So who the hell knows? But I think there's a lot of people, including myself at times where I finally started working on music again with Jer halfway through the pandemic. And then again, recently, and I've never come home more tired and more happy, you know, because I was like, I'm doing something like I'm so tired of just like looking at the day. And it's a, it's stupid to complain about. It seems so silly, like beyond a first world problem, but I wanted purpose and I wanted like, I just love feeling like tired. I don't know. There's something like it's, it's, a, it's a rush, you know, to be like, oh yeah, man, that was a full day and we yeah. did it. You're I, talking to the right people. Yeah. yeah. You're definitely talking to the right people. You know, <laughs> we build resilience and grit when we're doing something physically hard and when we're interacting with people and when we're moving our bodies and you know, we were talking about this with Jim Olson. We've talked about this with Ben Gibbard. We've talked about this with each other. And it's true. When you're away from your Zoom meetings and away from your phone and you're not being sedentary and you're out exercising or at least being active or out in fresh air, you even get the best ideas. It's so much easier to solve problems. And, you know, John and I have been walking miles and miles and miles around our neighborhood every single day during this pandemic. And we have solved so many issues or problems or come yes. up with solutions to things that we didn't normally, you, you can't just do it by sitting on your phone. Never mind, you know, the blue light. I could go all into blue light and how it's screwing up your hormones. And cause that's true. That is true. What if you it's turn off our sleep blue? and our hormones. Yeah. Can you turn off the blue? Well, you can <laughs> wear blue light blockers. I just still want to use my phone. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, turn it off. Yeah, that's probably the better. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's a whole other, you know, biological yeah. thing happening with our screens. I'm it's sure. Screwing up our hormones. That's a big deal. Hormones are important. Amy's aware of this, but I, I broke down in tears to Amy. This was a while ago, not too long ago. And I said I was so ashamed of myself because I can't put my phone down and I can't stop looking at news. 
and I can't stop. And I feel so scared and so sad for the world. And I can't put this thing, I can't. And I realized I just... I just, I defined addiction. I defined like the thing. I can't imagine putting this away. So when you say to me, we'll put it in a drawer. Shouldn't say that, but, but people say that like, oh, you just put it in a drawer. I'm like that to me right then was you put the bottle down, you know, my entire family are alcoholics and, and I've dealt with depression and anxiety my whole life, but to identify a device that didn't exist years ago as a thing that has turned out to be very, very dangerous. But it's like so many people, I mean, myself included, you know, at times it's, it's just way too many things in one. (laughs) So, and and when you have a president that it's stoking fires of, of just anxiety, basically, um, it's hard because you have a sense of control by keeping in touch with it. Like, what did I miss? If I know it, it can't hurt me as much. Um, So I can relate. I, but I think that that's, it's cool to realize it so that you can at least address it. I think it's hard if someone's just like not really open to the idea that that's running their life more than their, it's like the, you know, the tail wagging the dog or something like where you're not, you're not really the one who's in command. Yeah. You know, I think that's like, for me, sometimes the impulse to, to look at it, it's, it's controlling me. I'm, I'm the battery for it. I'm the, we're in the matrix and I'm the battery, you know, it's like, (laughs) I don't want that. So like, I remember we were, I was riding motorcycles out East in the Catskills where we do a lot of recording and I have a cabin out there and it was some of the best times because you literally can't get on your phone. And I didn't know why, obviously riding can be really exhilarating and fun, but a huge part of it too, is you're just actually disconnected. Like I would miss all these calls and I'd be so happy about it. Like, (laughs) Sorry, but normally I'd be like, oh, I miss call. It's like a gamify thing where they, they say there's a one because you have one voicemail or two, you have a voicemail and a missed call. And it's this whole thing of clearing it that like, yeah. that drives me. I think I'm slightly OCD. So I'm like, all right, my inbox is kind of full. Let me get that done and then I'll feel good. Yeah. It's all designed now to keep me on it. So I don't know where to go from there, but I, the first step is probably being like, man, I got I got a bit of a thing I got to clean up here. This is not, this is not, if my son who's two sees me when he's like 13, he's like, dad, what is your deal, man? Yeah, dude, you got a problem. Yeah. 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 You know, I, it made me think of, um, you know, there's all this research um, child psychologists did where they were studying kids who are watching cartoons or playing a lot of video games versus kids who watched Mr. Rogers or Sesame Street and how when we're interacting with something, whether it's on a screen or in real life, that the speed of it is the speed of reality, right? Like Mr. Rogers, you're watching a guy (laughs) and his puppets and the sweater or Sesame Street, you're watching people. And so the speed of the story and the action is normal speed. And so cartoons with all the fast shit going everywhere and and video games and things it's actually really messing up our brains yeah. <laughs> it's really it, you know it's not helping you know some of the concentration and focus and health issues among kids let alone as adults what you said there's just so much you can do with your phone like your phone is this little computer that accesses the whole world and then when we don't feel in control that's how we try to control mm-hmm. right so if we don't feel in control 
then we're like, well, if I read all the news or if I check all my emails or if I check all my voicemails, then I can tick boxes and I'm, and I'm getting things done and I'm in control somehow. And yet, like you said, it's just like we're, we're in the matrix. It's bizarre. <laughs> it's like- I mean, I wish my phone just gave me, you know, like email, voice memos. You got to get the flip phone. Yeah. But the voice memos are so key. Or I used I used to carry around just like a little dictation, but it was digital. But I like that's all I really want because I have these like (laughs) reminders to myself or song ideas or. But then you you go on there and you're like, oh, there's all this other stuff that's it's alerting me to. It's crazy. Like it's like watches. Nobody wears a watch anymore. No, I guess. Or they so, wear an Apple Watch. Yeah, yeah. So and then you look uh, to see what time it is got, and you're you're researching point something down the or you're on social media. I got a watch to so it would help with my phone because I realize I go to my phone to check the time and forty five minutes have passed because I've got I've got on Twitter. And so I got a watch and I, I got I'm a runner, so I got this Garmin watch that I love. Nice. And I I disconnected all the things except like my GPS and how far have I run? It doesn't connect to the computer to tell me later, and so I've I've actually really helps because it's good. just a, how far we've come. Um, Wesley, I don't want to keep you all day. I know you got stuff going on, uh, but what was it like getting that record, man? You're covering this vignettes album is is amazing. I, I tell me about that cover and just about about the covers album uh, real quick. Yeah, it's called vignettes, um, and I, I guess the impetus for it was just the spur of the moment, almost like a dare, like the guy I was writing. <laughs> bikes with Simon Fleece. Um, he, he's produced our last couple Lumineers albums. He's in a band. He has his own project, Simon Fleece. He produces a lot and he was in the Fleece Brothers, which is one of my all-time favorites. So yeah, great band. Um, we did a song two years ago called Bell Bottom Blues. We, we, we reimagined that, I guess you could say. We covered that, uh, the Derek and the Domino song. And it wasn't something I was familiar with much at all, actually. And so he said, that was really fun would you ever want to do that again? And I said, yeah, maybe. And he said, I have some studio time. Like in the next few days, you want to go? Like, it was almost like, you want to do this? Or were you just saying there? And I said, oh, let me think about it. And then I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. So a lot of these songs are either songs that I've listened to over the years or they're brand new. You know, it's kind of a mixture. I guess the tie that binds everything together is just this idea that they're synthesized so far down, they're boiled so far down that there's really not much left and that and they're still resonant. You know, it's it's like the essence of it, the essential oil of it is still there, like, you know, <laughs> and and it's vibrant. So with Cheryl Crow as an example, I was always like, I think that's a better song than I'm almost like thinking it is. And I bet you when she first played it, this is might might have been what it sounded like. And it's not to say that the song isn't good, but it's it's so triumphant and like peppy that I was like, this is actually a really sad song. And I want to see what that sounds like. And um, and then she responded and said it made her cry on social media. She she reached wow. out and she posted it and she said, I I listened to this and I cried. And I was like, holy shit, mission accomplished. Because I wanted the audience to hear it differently. I never thought she would hear her own work, you know, with New Year's. So <laughs> It was a really cool full full circle moment where as you're covering it, you're wondering, geez, is she going to hate this? You know, and then she responds that way. And it's a beautiful kind of thing. You uh, you mentioned, too, that you would want Keep Me In Your Heart uh, from Warren Zevon played at your at your funeral. Now, I, I, I know you're not the first to say they'd want a Warren Zevon song <laughs> played at their funeral, but 
I think it's different if you're reimagining, reinterpreting a song. You're getting into the DNA of it instead of just being a listener, right? You're 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 really getting in, like Sheryl Crow, what you just mentioned, or are you covered? I mean, you brought out Green Eyes, a Coldplay. I think that's my favorite song they've ever done. Um, yeah. And I think you've brought things out of that. Do you get? Can, can you get into that? Do, or did you with that worry of Sheryl Crow? Was that more the feeling like? I'm worried she's not really going to understand this. Or do you feel like you might be getting to what they were trying to express? Well, I had like a really positive experience doing this sort of thing one time, and it gave me that courage. We covered Walls by Tom Petty. It was like very much like vignettes sounds, where super distilled down. I messed with some of the melodies, but I always loved the song, and it had this like quality about it where I was like, how is this not a massive, massive, massive hit? Like it, it's because he wrote too many other big hits, I think, essentially, <laughs> Tom Petty. So That's... we did that, and it was at an event where he was. It was a tribute to him the whole night. And he gave this speech at the end of it, and he was like, all these bands are carrying the torch of rock and roll, and he named three of the bands, which I won't name because I can't remember them, but he didn't name us. And I was like, fuck. You know, like, <laughs> he didn't like it. You know, he must have hated it. Because there were some other established bands that wouldn't have been in what he was talking about. It was like the Foo Fighters right. were there and right. um, Randy Newman opened the show. So there's like people that I knew he wasn't going to mention, but I was like, we're, we're not old yet. Like, why aren't you talking about? And I, I just, he's my hero, one of my heroes. So after the thing, he comes up, he finds me backstage and he's like, I just want to let you know that that was, that was my favorite song of the night. And... Like now it's starting to like the walls are closing in. I'm like, I'm even talking to him. I shook his hand, you know, like that would have been enough. And then I said, you know, my wife walked down the aisle to that song. And he's like, yeah, I could never figure out the right version of it. And then I'm like, I know you had two versions of it on the album. And he's laughing. And then I we toured with the Webb sisters um, who sang with him and Leonard Cohen. They toured with both those artists. There's amazing um sisters that sang on this record as well vignettes and they recounted a story to me later where tom petty told them the story of my wife walking down the aisle to them like so <laughs> it was like a whole thing where i was like i actually got through to him for a minute you know because this is my hero and i only have the stories he's not going to remember me that, that's right um so but the way I presented it, I thought he might hate it because it wasn't triumphant and it wasn't peppy and it wasn't fast and then he liked it he loved it and so for me, I applied that, like I took that and I said, you know, not everybody might like this, but I'm going to do it this way because of that experience. Right. Like it, it gave me the gusto to say like, let's try this. You know, what's the worst that happens? They don't, they don't respond, well, whatever. But I'm doing it because I believe that there's a power in the song and I'm going to try to reveal that other side. of It's like a, the dark side of the moon. Or something. You know, like you're showing right. what a lot of people aren't seeing about it, but it is there. It's just not in the light. Well, that's what you did at Democracy from Leonard Cohen. Although when when anyone ever takes all this stuff out of a Leonard Cohen song, I like the song more. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Remember, Amy, we saw it. We saw it. We love Leonard Cohen. Oh, my God. He does that so many times in the song. Oh, yeah, he's got some. Well, and he has all the 80s synth going on in some of the Drum machines. You know. We're, yeah, we'd be at, we were Radio City Musical. We saw him. We'd be like, yeah, and we'd be like, and then the and then the horn and the all that would start. We'd be like, okay. Well, I, I. I think that, you know, um, what I'm finding is so fascinating to hear you talk about the the flip side of meeting an artist that you admire so much, you know, and, and I'm sure people had those moments with you where they were like, oh my gosh, I met Wesley and blah, blah, blah. 
And I think that that just brings us back down to earth. And we all have pain and sorrow and sadness. And we don't know when someone writes a song, it's a someone writing a song, as you know, a person writing a song. I think, you know, finding, like you said, the essence of the song, you're finding the soul of the song, but in a way you're also finding the soul of another person and you're connecting. And I think that's what's so powerful about music. And it's so powerful to remember. And an artist like Tom Petty making that comment to you, it was probably really meaningful. You know, he was a very big artist and probably felt lonely a lot. And to be able to have someone tap into uh, what he was trying to say in that song or like another version of it. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's like, bring us all back down to earth for a second. We're all human. We all have these human experiences. We all have this pain and sorrow and, and there's different ways it's expressed. And to remember that despite having a large platform or not, you know, it's all there. Yeah. We dehumanize that way. Dehumanize people a lot in in all, in all walks of life, including ourselves. We're like, we can be our own worst critics, but it's like, got to move through it somehow, get to the other side of it. That's right. Well, I I was just going to say, you know, something about envy or jealousy. Um, it's actually, if you think about it, it, it tells you what you want. Does that make sense? Yeah. You may not have the choices and that's frustrating watching other people's success or there's people who could, but just don't, something's holding them back. You know, you don't know what's holding them back, trauma, you know, health issues, whatever. And so it's really easy to shout things at the people on the court or on the field or on the stage, right? And criticize, but somewhere in people's heart, they do want to be understood and do want their selves to be expressed and out in the world. And um, anyone doing that turns into this target, like just throw darts out all yeah. day. Well, I had a yeah. shirt in high school I used to wear. And I don't know why it was a controversial statement, but it said, I am appreciated. Like I have found it in a thrift shop and I always enjoyed wearing it because it would like set certain people off. It'd be like, <laughs> fuck you think you are. I was like, what's so controversial about this? Like, aren't you appreciate? Like it, it's one of those things that I think if, you know, you want certain things that you like, you, you saw in your heroes and you interpret it as like, that's making it. And yeah, that's your currency or something. And it's like, yeah you don't realize that there's so many forms of that. And as I get older and I see all these artists that some of which I was like in my head being very critical of, and then I'm like, they've been doing it for so long. This isn't false reasons. Like, you know, it's, it's hard enough to just do this, to be critical of my peers in that way, because I'm, I'm on my high horse about some, it's BS, but it's like a, I guess like, feeling myself judging other bands in a really like mean way you know like that's how i started out i was like competitive and i was trying trying to find an edge and i feel like years have passed and things have happened i feel genuinely like rooting for people and and like interested in what they're doing and in the beginning i was very like tunnel vision and like just myopic you know what i mean and it's good feeling because i thought i was a pretty bad person (laughs) for like a fair amount of time but um I think it was also just the fact that I spent 10 years and like never got to play music unless I was working three other jobs. You know, like that was what I was mad about. You know, like I just wanted to play music and I had to go like bust tables and people would shit on you there. I'd 
be a barista and they'd shit on you there. Like it was just like constant, like you're invisible and also you suck. <laughs> That's what like <laughs> half the ser- service industry feels like is just like, yep. I mean, bartending, you're, you're kind of elevated. I remember feeling like, man, they're like tipping me and they talk nice to me. It's like, there's some power in the uh, serving of alcohol, but caffeine is like, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> um, I have no idea why. Cause most of that, most of the alcohol I served was like, pouring a beer and this was like a complicated coffee drink but it had nothing to do with skill it was just the drug of choice by the way this entire time we've been talking i realized right over amy's right hand shoulder is tom petty's record that i got her That's so awesome. it's been sitting there the whole time that beautiful new vinyl wildflowers wildflowers the demo was in that cool. it is it's a beautiful record and there's this there's this i haven't splurged but there's this like I don't want to tell Amy because I got her that one, but there's a, like a really nice one too. <laughs> so I was there's like, I think she'd actually one. like so nice. I think she'd be like, dude, maybe not that much money on a record. Cause it's sort of for you too. As well as gifts you get your mate. Like this yeah. is for you, for Quite, me to listen yeah. to. Quite honestly, I love it when John gets me rare, awesome vinyl for me. <laughs> That's true. For me. She gives me he's a- like, has so much vinyl. It's almost like, you know, toilet paper. Okay, so you're like, vi- you guys are, true vinyl collectors do you yeah, alphabetize yeah. like when you uh, i do because i can't find shit now i have like not yes. a ton but i'm like what do people do do they put it in categories chronological or? alphabetical no, you don't do or- any of that don't mess yourself up do it like your brain works so this is where I, people disagree with me and so if i have aretha franklin which i do is it the a it's under a oh, okay a. a yeah because if i'm me and i'm djing i'm going to like aretha like my dumb brain goes a and so you would I, never go franklin i don't go genre never. i don't go no oh my gosh so, so is bob dylan Tom petty though you is go bob petty. Dylan the d or the b he's a b okay. now here's the one that'll throw you off i would go d for dylan yeah i nope. might no, because I'm going Bob. If P I'm going for to Dylan, oh, P for Petty, Aretha's but Aretha, for Aretha, but Bob is Dylan. Come without on. like a good first name, you know. A tribe called Quest. Thank you. Is under A. Whoa. Which is, is, I would put under T. Never because it's tribe. Yeah. Never a never a the. You have to ignore the the unless yeah. it's the the. Um, and 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 those are the rules. <laughs> I, I made them all up. And but at the bar because that's where most of my vinyl is now. Um, I had to do it. it. It pained me, but I had to do it by last name because I figure <laughs> people are going to come in and not know what you have. So if they're thinking, oh, I want to, I want to find some Dylan. There's like twelve Dylan records, you know. Yeah. The D. That that made more sense to me. But in my own home, <laughs> have you what's seen, left of you've it? Seen High Fidelity, I can't find right? anything. I have seen High Fidelity. Yeah, I love that scene when he's just discussing. Mm, uh, he he does that yeah. autobiography. No, the auto- guy comes in. He's got a date. He's all excited, and he's like, how, how, did, how did you sort it? And, he's and it was like, autobiographical. Uh, yeah, because he was like chron- chronological. Yeah. He goes, no, autobiographical. And he's no, he like, goes, <gasps> yeah. alphabetical. No, yeah. and he goes, autobiographical. You know, I could stick around. I don't need to go on the stage. Yeah, like yeah, he's so right. nerded out. <laughs> that's yeah, right. it's that like is the bald guy from the record shop. I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's that so is my funny. favorite ever. And he's what's just happened? Like, during- so, he's so like conflicted <sighs> about going on the date because he just yes. wants to learn more. Yeah. That's right. Because he's such a nerd about vinyl. But why we love vinyl? Back to Mister Rogers. It's like this tangible. Oh, I've gotten so sort into of it. Real yeah. time. It's, you know, it's not just digital, digital, you know, but it, mm-hmm. it's like you have to hold it and you have to play it and have an experience with it. Where when you're just on your phone, I mean, mind you, I still listen to music on my phone, but it's just like hit all these buttons really fast and manic, change your mind right? really fast. And it's manic. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then when you go to research stuff about the song, you end up on Twitter. <laughs> like they're, you're they're, not, you're not. 
yeah, present and vinyl's present. Like it, you're really it's also, present. It's also getting you back to when you were younger and looking for yeah. music. And like for me, was, that's part of it. I was going to say too, I, I had a really great conversation in like a uh, catering with Andrew Bird one time we were on tour and he's like, <laughs> the reason people like vinyl is because it's degraded. And he's like, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just the same yeah. reason why people like film. There's like less information and therefore it's more pleasing to the human for various reasons. It's like a black and white photo. Like, right. and I think there's something to that too, where you don't, I watched uh, The Shining on Blu-ray and it was an awful experience. Like, it's not how you're supposed to see it, you know? Yeah. It looked like a made for TV movie. It was fucked up. And I was like, why is this? Oh, it's too many details. It's, it's, I'm not supposed mm -hmm. to see it. And I feel like vinyl can only put so much information in those grooves. Even like I've heard, you know, drummers playing cymbals a certain way because it just actually couldn't really translate. Right. So um, I like that kind of stuff because it, I feel like that's how I make music. I just degrade it to like vignettes. It's like you just degrade <laughs> it till right. there's nothing left. And then people are like, oh, I get this now. It's like, a, it's like the right way. It's a succinct way to take something in. Like to me, Coldplay's trajectory was like, you know, that first record they've been, you know, it goes all yeah. your life. And then the second record, you got some left. And the third record was just like, we're just making records now. Fuck it, man. I'm dating like supermodels. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, Shh. and I've, I didn't jump on the Coldplay, like, fuck them. And I replied, you know, whatever. I just didn't have an opinion. And I'm not saying this because you're right in front of my face, but your breakdown of the song got me like, okay. I, They're badass. They, yeah. They, yeah. They've written some really good. So I can't be that guy. I can't be that guy. And I wasn't really, cause I don't ever, I try never to be negative about music. I guess I was just sad. I was kind of bummed out mm -hmm. for my own personal enjoyment. I'm being selfish. I was like, I want, you know, I want this record to be like the first record um, but listening to you sing that was like, yeah, that's, that's what I want. That, that, that kind of like emotion I want back. And that's what it was. You, you can't replicate that. You can't make that up. You can't suddenly have this life and then say, okay, now I'm going to make our record emotional and sad and about a breakup if it doesn't exist. Cause you know, that doesn't work either. Cause you fake that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I sometimes wonder if that's just what they're into now. And, and yeah. if it doesn't happen to jive with what I'm into, Yeah, that good on them for not making something to please someone right. else. That I think that is maybe where some people really slam other artists is when you sense that they're making it to as a grab for an audience or as a money grab or something. And it's like, man, just make it for you. And if he's into whatever he's into, that's that's fine. And good on you for having the courage, because I know there are plenty of artists who just they say, like, I bet you a lot of people would like this. You know, and that's not yeah. like what Elliot Smith was saying when he was making his music. Or, <laughs> it was like, no. And it's it that will be around for a hundred years, whereas a lot of that other music will just wash away like easily because there's thousands like it. I, I can't even explain to people how Octung Baby like changed my life listening to music, and it was such a turn, and it was how they felt, and so it was the most genuine record they'd probably, I don't say ever made is my particular favorite. It's probably a top ten record of all time for me, but um, but like that record and how much it got shit on. And now it's like considered seminal and it's like, that's right. And, and you should see, so we started a record store on the, um, our bar is now a record store. And so uh, getting back to high fidelity, that's a 2020 pivot, it was my pivot. <laughs> and I finally get to have the record store. I always wanted after watching, you know, that's high fidelity, so awesome. reading, the, reading the book. Um, 
But what I realized was, is it's the, these are the, I just put like Van Morrison's Moon Dance on there. I put essential Johnny Cash record. Cause I feel like if you're going to put Johnny Cash on vinyl, you should start with his songs, like his best songs ever made and then branch out after that. Right. But you, sh- that's what you should have on. If you're going to sit with a record, um, Depeche Mode's Violator, like to me should be heard on, on full through the record, fully on vinyl, 180 gram import. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so I realize it's 60 things I think you should probably own. <laughs> I think that's like, pretty endearing because that just shows I, you after all these years, I, you like think so. actually think it's, you You have very strong opinions and it, it's yes. like a chef that's like, eat this. Oh, you're a vegetarian? I don't care. Eat this. Like, it's yeah, like, eat this, yeah. it's like yeah. y- you shouldn't die before having a taste of it. Like, like, I feel I, like I, that's how you, that's a good place to be. Well, uh, Wes, thanks for taking so much time with us. Yeah. It is, you know, on top of just doing this, it's been for us too a good excuse to catch up with people and have a, a reason to, you know, sit and talk for an hour. And I can't wait till we can all hang out again. I want to see your life on Mars, whether it's a record store or a bar or both. I'm sorry I missed you last time. I was like, like I was in yeah. deep into a tour. Where I was like, I hope you understand this. I'm just like totally not broken, but just like a mess <laughs> yeah. of a human right now. I know I told Amy, I was like, oh, I'm so bummed those guys can't make it. And and I think your immediate response was, they need a break. And I said, I absolutely hope that overhanging but out. But I won't, at, that's at not going to be my MO. It's just, uh, I, ho- I, I hope that. you know that. Because my goal is oh, yeah. to actually like not survive on the road, but have a bit of a, you know, existence and a life. So take a day, man. I will you see you one day. You can't pour water from an empty pitcher. Yeah, that's right, Amy. You cannot pour water from an empty pitcher. I've tried. You have to. Do you know, I... I know we're like a hundred, we've been talking for <laughs> like good. five hours, but um, I remembered this. This is important for me to tell you before I die. You know this. Um, we were, we s- went to your show at Numos when you were in Seattle in 2012. And um, because John has an early bedtime, we were kind of standing towards the back right. because um, we just wanted to make sure that like we could leave, but we stayed for a, a while, quite a while, way past our bedtime. <laughs> That's and, right. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. And no, this is a true story. And when we finally left, you had given him a shout out on stage and he's like, oh man, that's nice. That's, you know, oh, I love those guys. So I'm pretty sure we made a baby that night. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually, yeah, yeah, I we did. I was like, where's the story going? No. It does, Luminaires it does the math. kind of baby making music. So I've been trying we, to market it for years. This is we, perfect. Um, we had, like, I had had all these health problems and we had like fertility issues and like, and there was a point when uh, I didn't think I was going to be able to have kids. I mean, and I had all these issues and doctors were talking about ripping all my female or- organs out and all this stuff. And, Anyway, I didn't do that. I went a totally different route and I was able to sort of come through on the other side. So we got pregnant that like that. It was that night. Yes. I know. That is awesome. I know because we were baby making that <laughs> night. That's right. And then we weren't baby making for like a week or so. I, and then I left the country I, so and I definitely wasn't maybe baking. Yeah, and when yeah. I came back, I yes. was pregnant. Yeah. Unless, and she was in <laughs> India, unless, unless I'm missing something. <laughs> Um, she came back from India cause it was right after that and had the stick that and was like, incredible. That, yeah. Um, but I'm like, Oh, I have to remember to tell him this. So there you go. You're welcome. Hen- Henry. Thanks you. Little Henry. Appreciate that. Little that. Henry. Yeah. That's, I love that name too. Beautiful. Yeah, name. it was good. That night when we were baby making, 
Mm. We we had been it had been like such a prescription, you know, because we were trying oh, to get pregnant. You're just like, oh, okay, we have to have sex. Oh my god. Okay. Not. I mean, you want to, but you're just like, it becomes like this yes. chore, and. Um, <laughs> So we were just laughing our asses off. We're like, okay, let's do it. Yeah, get get on pe- top on me. Get the penis get out. The penis out right, you know, goes, goes in here. <laughs> yeah, and we were laughing. We were so laughing our hard, ass like, off. Good vibes and, for, yeah. for and this Henry. is important because later I had sort of a spiritual doctor person who I consider a mentor tell me that you know he believes that you know we choose when we're born or we choose like our soul chooses that and that makes me it makes me so warm and giddy inside because our son is the funniest fucking person I have ever met he is hilarious (laughs) and so he's like oh these people are laughing their asses off I want to be born. Here we <laughs> go. Awesome. Yeah. Let's do this thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she went to, she went immediately to India and had her, her body blessed by some, wow. like the Dalai Lama's uh, spiritual something. It sounds like Caddyshack. That's but it, incredible. Like, it was the state oracle of Tibet. Yeah. Well, I don't know where this leaves me and Brandy and our son then, because I like jerked <laughs> off into a test tube watching milk porn. So I don't know. He's really into milk porn. I'm sure of it. Future. He's going to be a loner. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be a loner. Um, That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> It's a, he's, he's destined. I don't know what's going to happen to this poor kid. Amy, Amy had me, you know, I had to go and then test. So I had to do the same thing yeah. in that, you know, the doctor's office. Here's my sample. Yeah. And then she got really nervous. Like, it's been too long. You were still not getting pregnant. You need to go back in there. I'm like, oh, no, God, I don't want to go in back in there. It's so awful. Yeah, they have I'm, like I'm not even embarrassed. With like yeah, one of those like, uh, things that I used to train my, um, my, yeah, my puppies to like pee on. It was like a, yeah. and I'm like, I'm not sitting in that chair. So you're like that's standing right. up. And it's like weird... the dot. And then I'm like, people know who I am. And I'm in the waiting room. I'm just like, guess what I'm going to go do? Yeah. And so, I go through it. the second time was much worse because I know what yeah. I'm setting up for. And you're I know shameful the... handing it over to this poor lady that yeah, has to take yeah, your... yeah, yeah. It's not like the it's like you can put it. You should put it in the thing and just turn the door. I'd actually yeah, hand. I it did to, too. It, the whole thing was awful. And so I get home, and they're like, it takes a. I don't know, five days to get the results right. I get home. It was the next day that she told me she was pregnant. That's was like, incredible. Son of a bitch. I didn't have to go into that. That's call just me a useless sperm. Yeah. That was like the worst use of jerking <laughs> off in my entire life. And I have plenty of times that were wasted. <laughs> That's a good way to end this. Okay, good. All right, Wes, th- we will let you all go. Right. Sorry for taking yeah, all your you time. Awesome. Great seeing you. All right, take care, guys. Bye. Amy, I love Wesley. He's, a, as you can tell from that interview, he's just a great human being. Um, he's always been awesome uh, to the Richards and everything we've been up to. So I can't wait to see them live again. I really want to thank him. And I want to thank Dual Tone Records as well for their assist on both having Wesley uh, talk to us today and also uh, using Jeremiah's music throughout this podcast. And, and we talked a bit about having sex after the Lumineers show, uh, as one does, or two people do. Um, and by the way, that, uh, that was pretty great post-show sex. I will say the Leonard Cohen show in New York though, that's pretty good too. Well, we talked about having sex after the Lumineers show, but that was the conception sex. So that was the weird, funny sex. What was Leonard Cohen sex? Um, I don't think we can talk about that on the podcast. It was pretty great. (laughs) It's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, when you talk about shows, you know, this question you get. 
Like, what was your best show, your favorite show? Or it's a hard question to answer. It's like me saying, what's my favorite band? I never have the same answer. I think you have like 50 in your top five. It's always You're always like top five, top five. When I do, um, when I do interviews near the end of the year to talk about my top albums of the year, if I have more than one, I make sure that the list is different for every interview. (laughs) (laughs) It started on accident, but then I realized. Richard's top 10. (laughs) It's different. And I, I, one time I did all different bands. So we should print them all out and compare them. Yeah, it's. Uh, you know, you're. How can you just be stuck with one thing, right? You like, there's so many shows that were awesome, and maybe it it hits you differently. One of my favorite shows was that Leonard Cohen show. I, it was. Uh, it really, really, really was. Yeah, it was uh, yeah. Radio City Music Hall. Yeah, we saw him in Radio City Music Hall, and afterwards we had mind blowing sex. And then the next day is kind of when we decided to like stay together. Yeah. I mean, we weren't like going to break up, but you but know, I, I we lived, were dating and you know, there's a lot of complicated stuff was in there, our life. <laughs> I didn't realize that was a fork in the road that we were on. I remember that I lived in New York and you lived in Seattle. And yeah, that, you were splitting time, but it, you were mostly in yeah. New York. And I said, uh, you, you can't go back. You just please stay. And and I did. I didn't go back. That's right. Because that's because I didn't get on the plane. I'm so good at sex. That's why. I'm, I'm, I'm a sex expert. That's exactly what happened. Do you have a show like uh, that one for me is pretty high up on my list. Do you have Do you have a show that that like right now? If you thought, man, that that was one of the best moments I've had at a live show. Since live shows are opening up, it's nice to start thinking again about them. You know. I bet this is a lot of people's favorite, actually, is, um, you know, anytime I see the Flaming Lips, I mean, they just kill it. They're Mm -hmm. just weird and awesome all at once. But for me, it was that show we went with our kids to the Flaming Lips. We took the kids and it was kind of a haul. It was like a Sunday. Was it a Sunday night? It It was was definitely a weeknight. Yeah, it was like, you know, way past their bedtime, that kind of thing. And I just remember the look on their faces, like, what? the fuck except they weren't saying that because they're kids but our oldest uh child like uh they put these balloons up to say fuck yeah seattle yeah and he they was tall up, enough to see it yeah and you just see his face just oh man this is awesome i'm i think i'm not supposed to be seeing what i'm seeing right now yeah and our youngest was a total rock star yeah you know he really was i think um he was still young enough that you could put him on your shoulders and so he could see yeah, because you know, we kind of stood in the back. You yeah, know. a bit of advice though, if you're taking your kids to the very first big show, and you take them to the Flaming Lips, there, you you've ruined it, right? It's like over. you have to like now live Every, up to that. Ever we were like, boring, not every yeah. show is like this. I swear <laughs> to God. But for me, that's one in the top. The Leonard Cohen one was in the top. A show that I didn't go to. There's two shows that I didn't go to because of whatever you know, some dumb excuse. Uh, one was Susie and the Banshees, like back in 1990-something. I didn't go, and I was supposed to go. I had tickets. And then I didn't go to see The Man in Black. I didn't go see Johnny Cash. Oof. And then it was like shortly after, within the year, he passed away. And I'm t- like, I wept. I mean, I wept because Johnny Cash died, but I was like, oh, my God. Gosh. Yeah, I never saw Johnny Cash. You know, when you talk about seize the moment and you talk about shows and, you know, our last episode, we were talking to Janet Weiss about this and she was saying live shows are a one of a kind experience right? and they truly are. And I can't wait to get back into live shows. I cannot wait. I mean, you can see it They're They're already scheduling them. And I mean, 
Yeah. You know, it's like the gates are going to open and we're all just going to, ah! Yeah, we... <laughs> Everyone's going to go nuts. At my radio gig, there was, um, we do ticket gives. And in the old days, I would get those emails like, oh, we got to give. It was, all oh, right, I got to schedule these. You know, just a pain in my ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, good. Now I got them. I was like, oh, really? Oh my gosh, I can't wait to give tickets to people. This is going to be amazing. And the first one was Idols. Oh my God. And Idols is one of the top uh, shows. Yeah, Idols Idols in London for me when we did a live broadcast oh, there was, awesome. was was just a moment. I always like those moments in time where um, you just capture someone at their, it's like they're, they're just prime and and they may not have even hit their prime yet. But yeah, it's live music. And Amy, if people are, you know, there's a good chance for me to, before we get done with the podcast to ask you a question about that. If you're maybe some reminders um, as you head to shows, I know people may have forgotten. They may just be out of their minds happy and forget. They still need to, you know, be safe. You know, hearing comes up a lot. Like for me, oh my gosh, yeah. I never used to wear earplugs. And then we brought Interpol to town and they played Graceland, very small venue. It was their first sold out show outside of New York. And so I was up front center, or no, I'm sorry, not center, a little to the right where the speaker was. And I, it was that show that when I went home and I, that ringing that didn't go away for days, I never, uh, didn't wear earplugs after that. Yeah. Pack your earplugs. I mean, I always put earplugs in like, you know, the little pocket in your jeans, the little, the little, little pocket, you know, in your front. I don't know if you have jeans. Is that just for weed? Like why, why do you have that pocket? (laughs) That's for your earplugs. Oh, got it. But then take them out before you put them in the laundry. Good call. You know, I always bring earplugs, um, to shows and I always hydrate a lot because you're in, you're usually around a lot of people and I don't know how they're going to do it post pandemic. They're probably going to have like limits on, but still everybody kind of tries to rush to the stage. And, you know, go, I mean, people go to live shows alone and I hate to even say this, but women go with buddies. It just sucks that that's your reality, but you go with friends, always go with friends. Everybody should go with friends. I mean, something could happen to you. I mean, we've been at shows where people have like fainted or passed out or stopped breathing or, you know, something like there can be medical emergencies or people can really go down. Um, a lot of it's hydration. A lot of people are just dehydrated and. Well, I think these things are going to happen. People are going to be so excited and so out of their minds that they may drink too much. They may just like use all their energy that they wouldn't at a usual, at a show. Does that make sense? Like you're so psyched. You're not even going to think twice about your actions maybe. And so I think that's really good advice. I think it's good to mentally prepare. Yeah. Like whoever you're going to the show with mentally prepare. So have your agreements. Like if there's a designated driver, what's that agreement? If we get separated, where do we meet? And I know this, I know I sound like grandma here, like (laughs) telling the kids where to meet, you know, if we get separated at the fair or something, but it's true. Like plan it so that you're not panicked and you're not texting and then your phone battery dies. And then, you know, on all that stuff, like plan it out. Yeah. And I, I think be kind to one another and, and step in if you need to step in. I think in the past, you know, there's been a long time since we've had live shows, but if you see someone in distress or someone's had too much to drink, step in and help. Yeah. I, I, and uh, like when I was younger, I never, I, I don't, didn't come up very often, but I think if I missed opportunities there to help another human. So it's up to us to do that, especially us veteran go to show people. And I will mention, do not use your age as a reason not to go to shows. 
You should go, man. Life is short. It doesn't matter. You can be the old person at the show. It is absolutely acceptable. Do not be intimidated. Go to the show. Stand in the back if you have to, okay? But go to show. See live music. You've earned it through this pandemic. And hydrate and have a buddy. I have I have a request. Yeah. Can y'all, like, stop holding your phones oh, up yeah, and filming the show, yeah, please? Yeah, that's true. Can I we know. just, like, watch yeah, the show? I know. Can we just enjoy it? I know. You should do that. Be in the moment. Nobody watches it. Nobody watches it. Nobody watches it when you post it online. Nobody cares. No, no. (laughs) they don't. You think they do. They don't. They don't. No, be in the moment. Be in the moment. That's right. That's right. Take a quick photo, a a three-second video, and then put that shit away. I have no evidence of my favorite shows on me, and that's okay because they're all in my mind. The only evidence I have is that Lumineer show because we have Henry. We had a baby. So I actually have some evidence, actually, that show. That's pretty great. All right, we want to thank a bunch of people here on the podcast, the Dr. DJ Podcast. This Jeremiah Freight's album is just incredible. So we're going to play a song from it at the end. Big thank you to Dual Tone Records again. They're celebrating 20 years. They have a new compilation called Americinda. Americinda. Yeah, That's it's nice. 20. It's my favorite title of a compilation I've gotten. And they have artists, both new and old, from their label covering their catalog. Lumineers have a cover on there of Gregory Allen Isakoff, a beautiful song. And then he actually covers the Lumineers on there. Well, isn't that nice? It is very nice. Again, Americinda, 20 years of dual tone. And a shout out to my friend Lori over at the label. And if you want to buy the dual tone merch, they do make cozy sweatshirts. I pretty much wear it, you know. Good call. It's, I, it's in my rotation. Good, good call. It's my rotation in cozy sweatshirts. Yeah. Just, you know, FYI, if you need a good cozy sweatshirt. I had a, a our friend, um, Greg, who went with us to Nashville, and he wrote me the other day a question about something at my work. And he said, and also, why is this dual tone hoodie so comfortable? He said, this is just a few <laughs> weeks ago. You. I know. We each, we, they gave us hoodies. They are the most I comfortable. Oh my I God. wear it all the time. There's some weird fabric uh, thing they have down there in Nashville. I don't know. They're really <laughs> cozy. Uh, we want to thank, of course, Ruinous Media, who puts up with us and produces this podcast. Very, very nice Joe, people. Pat, and Chris. Y'all rule. And we want to thank our friend Michael Benjamin Lerner for our theme song. Yeah, Mr. Telekinesis himself. And a huge thank you to our guest, Wesley Schultz, for taking the time. Congratulations on your new beautiful baby as well. Yeah, that's right. They had a little baby. Yeah. I hope you get a chance to listen uh, as you are dealing with a new one and making a new record. We look forward to the fourth Lumineers record. We're going to leave you with one more song. You've been hearing Jeremiah's beautiful record, Piano, Piano. And I wanted to go out with a, a, a maybe my favorite from it. This is called Tokyo. 